Well, good morning, One Church. What's up? My name is Carlo. I get to be one of the teaching pastors here. I'm excited that you are here, excited that you are excited. Shout out to everyone watching in the video venue or online, watching even later on during the week. We're glad that you chose to connect with us today. We're in part five of our This Is Us series for the last four weeks. We've been looking at core values, statements that kind of define who we are as a church, onechurch.tv. Last week, we looked at one of a a really cool uh, core value of ours. I really enjoy it. It's found people, find people. So we talked about the importance of looking out for and reaching out for those people who are far from God because he has found us today. Like Pastor Chris said, we're going to be talking about generosity, and we'll be in Exodus in the Old Testament. It'll be on the screen, or you can follow along on the Bible app if you want to. If you're here and you don't believe in Jesus at all or in God at all, let me just encourage you that I think even uh, in, in spite of that, there are some things in this message on generosity that you too can get. So we're glad that you're all here. There, there are some topics that I avoid around certain people. You know what I'm talking about? Some things I get around certain folks, I just don't go there with them. Um, it's not because I don't have an opinion about those topics. I have an opinion about everything. Just ask me. And if I don't respond, you'll know you're one of those people that I don't want to have a conversation with. Um, it's, there's some things I just avoid. And it's, I would love to tell you it's because I don't like to argue, but I actually do enjoy a good heated debate or two or three. I like to win arguments and I like to win and I like to win and I like to win. So uh, I'm that guy that wants to get the last word. Some of you know what I'm talking about because you're that person too, because I know you. So don't leave me hanging up here as I'm confessing all my junk to you, right? We, we like to get into it uh, and mix it up. I avoid these topics, not because I don't have an opinion or because I don't want to argue. I just don't like awkward. I don't like awkward. I don't like uneasy tension sometimes. I'm a recovering people pleaser, so I don't like when people are mad at me. I don't like thinking that someone may have a beef with me, so I just avoid a subject altogether um, because I just don't want to get into the, the division that might come from that conversation. How about you? Any topics you avoid? You don't like to get into this certain topic around this person or in this area? I'm sure all of us have those things. If if you wanted to divide a room really quick, there are certain topics we could mention here on a Sunday that would cause division instantly in this room. I could say, go Wildcats. I could say, go Vols. And instantly, this is the North and the South, right? The Civil War. People are going to be fighting. Uh, brothers leaving brothers, right? I could say, go Yankees right? And, and half the room is going to boo, right? And half the room is going to say, yes, although the Yankees did go, they're going home right now. But um, I could say Coke or Pepsi. I could say, go Cowboys. And, and, and everyone that really loves Jesus would say boo, right? And all the, and I'm just playing, I'm just playing, I'm just playing. Calm down, calm down, calm down, right? Uh, I could say, yeah, please don't leave, don't leave, don't leave. I could I, really quickly, just like that subject, things can get awkward, things can get tense, just by bringing up something. Isn't that fascinating? We could start talking politics, and this place would get really uncomfortable very, very quickly. We could get, look, I just said the word politics, and you, and some of you guys, like, stroked out. Relax. Like, we're having fun this morning, right? There's one topic I know, hands down, it always causes tension uh, in a crowd. Not just a church crowd, but in a crowd period. We don't want to talk about money. We don't like talking about money. Money is at the center of most of our political debates. Money is at the center of a lot of relational trauma and relational stress. Money impacts all of us because all of us use it. All of us need it. And if we're honest, all of us want some more of it, right? It's it's near and dear to all of us. It's, It's the economy of our life, money. And we really don't like talking about money in church. 
We just really don't. Some of this is because of the bad rap given to the church by crooked preachers and celebrity-type preachers abusing money. You could read the tabloids and see all that stuff. So that's part of the reason people genuinely bugged about misuse. But I don't think that's the main reason. I think the real reason centers on this one truth. I think the real reason we don't like to talk about money is because our wealth is the biggest competitor for our heart outside of God. Our stuff fights for our worship, fights for our attention more than anything else we deal with. And I think that's why we don't like to talk about money. And I think that's why Jesus talked about financial issues more than he talked about heaven, more than he talked about salvation, more than he talked about healing. He talked about stuff, possessions, money. He said in Matthew 6, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Fast forward into the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, he said, since you excel in so many ways in your faith, your gifted speakers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, your love from us, I want you to excel also in this gracious act of giving. Jesus saying, where your treasure is, your heart's going to be. The Apostle Paul saying, I want you to be good at giving. I want you to excel at giving. It's an important concept. We owe so much to God who gave us everything. And he owns everything already. And that's where generosity giving is such an important construct of who we are as the church. That's why at OneChurch.tv, we believe that generosity isn't a money thing. It's a heart thing. Generosity isn't a money thing. It's a heart thing. We believe that rich people aren't generous. Generous people are generous. Now, that's not degrading someone who has a lot of wealth. We're saying that your generosity isn't dependent on how much money you have because generous people are generous. It's about what's in your heart, not about what's in your bank account. And that leads to our big idea today, and it's this. If God has our heart, then we won't hold back anything from him. If he really has my heart, I'm not going to hold back from him. If he really has your heart, you won't hold back from him. That's what generosity is about, not holding back. So we're going to look at a story from the Old Testament that it's, it's an awkward story to use in the context of giving, but it really is a story about giving. And it demonstrates the power of a generous heart, but it also gives us some clues into what God wants for us when it comes to our generosity. Uh, it's, it's found in Exodus 24. I'm going to start reading in verse 15. It says this, Then Moses climbed up the mountain, and the cloud covered it, and the glory of the Lord settled down on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it for six days. On the seventh day, the Lord called to Moses from inside the cloud. To the Israelites at the foot of the mountain, the glory of the Lord appeared at the summit like a consuming fire. And then Moses disappeared into the cloud as he climbed higher up the mountain, and he remained on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. Now, you start reading about mountains and smoke and climbing and visions, and this sounds like some chemically induced dream that somebody's happening, right? Like, this doesn't sound like reality. It's kind of trippy what's going on in this story. So let me just bring you up to speed context-wise. Maybe you've never heard of Moses. You've never heard of the Israelites. You don't really know what any of this is. So God had this group of people, named them this nation Israel. They become slaves in Egypt. They cry out to God in Egypt. God sends them a deliverer, Moses, who saves them, rescues them from Egypt. You're familiar with the story, right? They get to the Red Sea. There's a lot of water there. Moses says, get out of here, water. He doesn't say get out of here, water, but I like that version. But get out of here. The water parts. They cross across. Pharaoh tries to follow him. He drowns. Israelites are on the other side of the water. Are you with me in the story? Now they set up camp at the foot of this mountain for the what's next. What's our next step, God? What do we do? 
So in chapter 20, God calls Moses up to the top of this mountain and he gives Moses the Ten Commandments. Have you heard of them? Ten Commandments. He gives them the Ten Commandments and most of what will become the Levitical law or the Hebrew law up on that mountain. Moses then comes back down the mountain. He repeats to the people everything that God had just told him. And then God says, Moses, get back up here and bring these other guys with you. But they can't come all the way because they're going to die if they come all the way. But I want you to bring them up, come back up to the mountain. So Moses gets those guys and they go back up on the mountain. And then up there, God begins to give Moses more instructions And these instructions would become the details for what would eventually be this building here, the tabernacle. The tabernacle. The tabernacle would be the sanctuary where God's presence would dwell while they were roaming around until there was a permanent facility. So he gives them detailed instructions about building him this place. So that's where we are in this story. We can learn a whole lot about generosity. I know it might not seem like it, but we can actually learn a lot about generosity just by reading the next chapter and seeing what happens after Moses gets called up on the mountain. And the question we want to wrestle with as we think about this tabernacle and look how it looks and all this design and the details, really the question for you and I as we engage this text today is, what does God want regarding your generosity? It's not about what I want, about what Pastor Chris wants, about what one church wants. What does God ultimately want regarding our generosity. And I think as we dig into this story today, we'll see some answers to that question. The first thing is this. God doesn't want what you don't have. God doesn't want what you don't have. Exodus 25 says, the Lord said to Moses, tell the people of Israel to bring me their sacred offerings. Bring me their sacred offerings. God doesn't want what you don't have. So in chapter three of Exodus, Moses encounters God, this burning bush. God gives Moses a bunch of instructions and continues to tell him, here's what you're going to do. You're going to go tell Pharaoh, let my people go. I'm going to show you these signs. And he basically gives, uh, throughout a series of, of, of weeks and months, he gives Moses constant direction on here's what's going to happen and how I'm going to set you free. And Moses, uh, maybe like you and I would, kind of gives God some excuses of why that's not possible, why that can't work, <clears throat> why he's not good enough. So God finally tells Moses, listen, I'll see to it that the people get a hearty send-off by the Egyptians. When you leave, you're not going to leave empty-handed. Every woman's going to be able to go to her neighbor and say, can I have some of your stuff? Can I have some of your silver and gold? And the Egyptians are going to give it to you, extra clothes, extra gold. You'll put them on your sons and daughters. You'll clean the Egyptians out is what God basically tells Moses is going to happen. And of course, after all the plagues that happened, you can read about that earlier on in the middle of Exodus. After all the plagues God sends on the Egyptians to make that kind of rescue happen, the Egyptians were more than willing to get rid of the Israelite people. What in the world does that have to do with Exodus chapter 25? Well, God says, tell the people, bring me their most sacred offerings. Where did these slaves get a bunch of stuff to give as an offering to God? From the Egyptians. So when you read chapter 3 in the context of chapter 25, you realize, okay, that's where they got all the stuff. How did they go from being slaves to having a bunch of stuff? A group of researchers at Stanford University, they did some research to discover uh, just in today's money how much that tabernacle that we saw on the screen there, how much would that actually cost? It cost $13.5 million how much the tabernacle offerings were given. $13.5 million in today's money is how much those former slaves were able to give as an offering. Now, 
there was like 2 million of them, okay? Lest we think that, I mean, there was a lot of them to give an offering. But still, that's a lot of dough that they gave up. They offered it to God. To offer means to, uh, to present, a sacrifice, a tribute, something offered up. Basically, here's what you are, you've done so much. Here's my offering, my gift to you. And that's what God wants from us. He wants what we have, not what we don't have. He's given us life and health and strength and material, and that's what we draw from and live from. And too many times we don't give because we wish we had more. We're concerned with what we don't have, and so we say, sorry, I can't give because I don't have enough. I don't have what it takes. But in this story, God already provided for them the thing that he was going to ask from them. And it's the same thing true for us. God's already provided for us what he's going to ask of us. He asks us to give, and he's the one that's going to provide the blessing. He's going to make it possible for us. He doesn't want what we don't have. You might ask, how can I serve? I'm not a speaker. I'm not a singer. If you're not a preacher, then don't preach, right? If you're not a singer, don't sing. I'm going to say that one again. If you're not a singer, please don't sing. Not everyone can teach. Not everyone can sing. Not everyone is good with their hands. Not everyone can administrate. But do you know what all of us can do? We can all be generous. Every single one of us has everything we need to be generous. It's a very, very simple concept. We have enough to give back. And God provides us more so that we can give more. We just have to have the right heart, the right attitude behind it. So if God has our heart, then we won't hold anything back from him. So God doesn't want what we don't have. And God wants cheerful giving. He wants cheerful givers. Cheerful, an attitude of gratitude, an attitude of I get to, not an attitude of I have to. Verse 20, verse 2 of Exodus 25, God says to Moses, tell the people of Israel to bring me their sacred offerings Accept the contributions from all whose hearts are moved to offer them. From all whose hearts are moved to offer them. Have you ever had someone do you a favor, do, you, do a solid? They hook you up with some cash in a time of need. They give you a couch to crash on. They come fix your car for you. They help you out. They do something good for you out of the blue right on time when you needed it. And then they go on to throw it in your face every chance they get. Does that happen to you? Someone does some good for you, and then they can't wait to remind you. You remember that $50 I gave you right there? You know, they can't, they can't wait to Lord. Why do people do that? I think a lot of it has to do with the motive of their heart in giving. I've had people tell me I want to do something out of the kindness of my heart, and then I found out really quick when I didn't thank them the way they thought they should be thanked, I found out really quickly they didn't do that out of the kindness of their heart at all. They did that for influence. They did that because they wanted something in return. They did that because whatever. Attitude is everything when it comes to generosity. It stinks to have someone treat service like a burden. We talked about this when it comes to get to versus have to. <clears throat> if I give because I have to, then it becomes a burden, becomes a chore, becomes a weight to carry around myself. But if I give because I get to, man, that's a privilege. That's wonderful. It's an opportunity. I'll look for a way to do it because I get to do it. And when it comes to generosity, giving of our time, our money, attitude is everything. In fact, in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul wrote a great piece on this in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Paul said, remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get what? A generous crop. You must each decide in your own heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves, 
a person who gives how? Cheerfully. And look at verse 8. God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to do what? Share with others. Isn't that a powerful passage of Scripture? So let me get this straight, God. I'm going to give cheerfully, not reluctantly, not with my arm twisted. I'm going to give because it's a great opportunity. And then you promise that you are generously going to continue to provide for all my needs. Notice it didn't say he's going to provide you a Bentley. It didn't say he's going to provide you a CEO's office. He's going to give you all that you need, and you'll have everything you need. And what? Plenty left over, not to build bigger barns, but to share with others. This is the secret of God's economy. You give back because of all I've done for you, and I'm going to bless you so that you're taken care of, and you're going to be able to be a blessing to other people. What's the end game of being a blessing to other people? It's the last two messages. Found people, find people. Save people, serve people, right? That's the connection with generosity. It's how I serve. It's how I look for those people. It's out of the overflow of everything God has done for me. You guys still with me? So we want to be generous, not begrudgingly or, you know, and while contextually this scripture here applies to money, I think it applies to all of our lives. Nothing makes me crazier than to hear people who serve, who volunteer, complaining about volunteering. Right? Volunteering is you decided to do it. I know soldiers in the room, past and present, how many times did we hear that? This is an all-volunteer army. Lest you complain, nobody put a gun to your head and said, go down there and sign. Well, maybe the law might have told some of y'all that. But for most of us, nobody told us to go down there and raise our hand. and We signed up for it, right? So you could have an attitude, begrudging, can't believe I'm here. Or you could own it and say, you know what, I'm here. I'm going to give my best. I'm going to be generous. Why would you show up on a Sunday to volunteer and like not want to be here and do it. Like you're actually missing out on the blessing of doing that. Oh, I got to go be with those students. No, please stay home. We'll get someone else who actually wants to be there. Or we'll try to encourage you to be there because your attitude is everything, right? I'll just say it. When you give begrudgingly, you're almost sabotaging the blessing that God wants to give you. You're sabotaging the goodness that would come of it because you're giving from the wrong heart. God doesn't want what we don't have. And God doesn't want our bad attitudes at all. If God has our heart, we won't get, hold anything back from him. So he doesn't want what we don't have. He wants us to give cheerfully. And then God doesn't want our excuses. God doesn't want our excuses. I believe that if you look for an excuse, you'll find it every time. You'll find an excuse to do just about anything or to not do anything. If you look for it, you'll find it. God doesn't want our excuses. Exodus 25, the Lord said to Moses, tell the people of Israel. Tell the people of Israel. This is God using command voice. This is not a suggestion. This is implied. Even though he says, give what they desire in their heart, that is very loaded because God is telling them to give. So give. You might say, doesn't that contradict what you just said about giving reluctantly? No, I'm not saying that at all. But it's something God wants of me. I'm going to make sure that I can find a way to do it. And here's the cool thing about God. He's going to provide for me what I need to do it. So tell them to give. Last time God told Moses to tell the people of Israel something, Moses had a bunch of excuses in chapter 3 of Exodus. 
Moses said, uh, I can't go talk to Pharaoh because I don't speak well. Uh, I'm a murderer. They don't know me. Moses, sometimes his temper got the best of him. Moses had this cane. It had a tendency to turn into a snake. Like weird things would just happen in Moses' life. But the Bible tells us at the end of Moses' life that he was the most humble man who ever walked the earth. Moses did what God told him to do. Basically, Moses had an attitude where excuses are old. No excuses. God said, go, we're going to go. God said, do it, we're going to do it. God said, move forward, we're going to move forward. We can all do our part. And if we want to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, if we want to change the world one life at a time, we can't sit on the sidelines with all of our excuses for why we can't do what God's asked us to do when it comes to being generous. Because we all have something to give. I talked about subjects that I like to avoid. One subject I I love to engage people with is when they give me the excuse about time. I would love to serve, but I don't have enough time. I would love to talk to them about the same 168 hours a week that they get and I get. If we dig into how we manage that, we realize, oh, I'm just making excuses. I can actually do whatever it is I set my mind, my heart to do if I really wanted to do it. God doesn't want our excuses. God wants us to be cheerful givers. And then finally, God wants us He wants our excellence. God wants our excellence. Let's keep reading. Verse 25 says, here is a list of sacred offerings you may accept from them. Gold, silver, and bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet thread, fine linen. It's fascinating. In the story, these are the materials, again, that are eventually going to become the sanctuary the place where God's presence dwells. Today, we know, because we heard this a couple weeks ago from Pastor Chris in our study on Acts chapter 2. You can go online and catch that if you missed it from where it starts with one series. We know that we are the temple of God, that His Spirit now dwells in us. But the same principle is true, that He desires for us to give generously with hearts that want to give the best. Hearts that want to give the best. Think no junk for Jesus. No junk for Jesus. The only junk we present to Jesus are our messy and broken lives. That's it. And he takes that mess and brokenness and he makes something beautiful. He saves us. And then because of everything he's done for us, we get to live our life serving him, living for us. Here's the list of things I want you to give, the Bible says. Sacred offerings, gold, silver, bronze. Notice where he started. Gold, silver, bronze. He didn't say, hey, you know that old dented can of soup you haven't eaten in six years? Bring that to us. You know those seven t-shirts you are ugly that you don't even wear? Hey, donate that. You know that old Tandy 1000 computer you haven't turned on since 1992? Hey, give that to the media team. Maybe they can do something with it. See, I'm using real-world examples of real things I've seen people try to turn in as an offering, as a donation. That's just in the church context. Hey, I got six cases of spoiled meat, Mana Cafe. You want these? Like, seriously, God doesn't start there. He says gold, silver, the best. Here's the offerings that I want you to accept from them. The best stuff. Because in view of everything God had done for them. And remember, these are the people who were slaves. Did they have gold before God showed up in their lives? Not really. God shows up, gives them all this stuff, and then he asks for some, not all, some of it back. 
He doesn't want our leftovers when it comes to our time. He doesn't want our leftovers when it comes to our skills. He doesn't want our leftovers when it comes to our energy. God wants our best because he's given his best for us. I don't prepare harder for a classroom lecture than I do for a Sunday sermon. I don't prepare harder for a Sunday sermon than I do a classroom lecture. I give God my best any time that I'm presented with the opportunity to use the talents that he's given me. The stuff that he's given me, I do my best to prepare, to sharpen, because it's the least that I can do, because that's what God wants from you and from me. He wants excellence every single time. And guess what happens when we give from a place of generosity, from a place of excellence, from a place of cheerfulness, from a place realizing God's already given me all that I need. We give from that posture. We see God do amazing things. Let's finish this story and see just how awesome this was when the people of God responded with generosity. Verse 2 says, so of Exodus 36, we'll fast forward. So they collect all the stuff. Now we're in Exodus 36. So Moses summoned Bezalel and Aholiab. Those were guys who were designed, who God called out to build the tabernacle. He calls these guys and all the others who were specifically gifted by the Lord and were eager to get to work. And Moses gave them materials donated to the, by the people of Israel as sacred offerings for the completion of the sanctuary. But the people continued to bring additional gifts each morning. Verse 4. Finally, the craftsmen who were working on the sanctuary left their work. They went to Moses and reported, the people have given more than enough material to complete the job the Lord has commanded us to do. So Moses gave the command, and this message was sent throughout the camp. Men and women, don't prepare any more gifts for the sanctuary. We have enough. So the people stopped bringing their sacred offerings. Their contributions were more than enough to complete the whole project. That is every leader's dream right there. Do you see what happened? Imagine Pastor Chris coming up here after worship, after a baptism video, and saying, people, don't give anything. We don't have room. You know, like one of those old mob movies where they got stacks and stacks of cash. Like, we can't clean this money fast enough. Like, IRS thinks we're doing something shady. We got a warehouse full of iPads. Someone gave us the eighth deeded piece of property. They donated it to the church. We have too much stuff. Half of Nashville is here wanting to serve on the worship team, right? We, we, we have too much. That seems insane in our speak, right? Please, we don't have enough room for your gold. Has anyone even said that sentence before in, in the history of the world? No more gold, please. We're good. <clears throat> I don't think that's ever been uttered. And yet, here Moses is saying, no more. The people responded with such generosity. They considered the goodness of the Lord and all that God had done for them. And they, their response was so much that the workers couldn't build the building because there was too much stuff. They actually had to go beg Moses, please tell him enough is enough. That's the power of collective generosity. When everyone just gives what they already have, they give some of their stuff. These aren't people giving all of their possessions. They're just giving some of what God has given them. Let me ask you, what's holding you back from being generous to your neighbor, to your church, to the Lord? People ask me all the time, Carla, when is one church going to break ground on your piece of property you have out there? And I have to bite my tongue because I always want to say, as soon as more of us are generous, it's not complicated. It's not, there's not a difficult problem at all. Y'all are still meeting in a movie theater? What's up with that? If 
more of us were generous, we could move forward, take the next steps that God wants for us. I don't say that to guilt you at all. I'm just telling you, it's the truth. It's the absolute truth. Earlier today, I was talking with someone about parachurch ministries. If you don't know what a parachurch is, it's something, you know, like a Mana Cafe or Salvation Army. You know, these people who do good stuff in the name of Jesus, but they're not really a church. The very existence of some of those organizations is because churches just didn't do what churches are supposed to do. If all of God's people gave consistently and regularly, there would always be enough to meet the needs of all of the people. If we were just generous. I could tell by your silence that I'm bothering you, and that's good. That's, we should be bothered. I'm bothered, right? Because we know God's done so much for us, and we know how much we make excuses and don't give back. We don't talk about money enough. Now, I'll be careful. Uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't bring this up. Here's, here's the reason a lot of us struggle with generosity. A lot of us struggle with money because we don't manage our money well. And for some of us, that really is the truth. Like, you want to give to God, but you don't have any money. You want to give to the church, but no, I really don't have any money. Like, I really don't have any money. I get that. So that's why we have Financial Peace University. We have small groups. We have leaders. We can help you. We can resource you to help you manage your stuff so that you can be generous like God wants you to be generous. But that's not everybody's problem. That's not everybody's problem. Some of us, we have the bad attitude. We've made the excuses. Or maybe... This is going to, I don't want this to be harsh. Maybe God really doesn't have our heart. Because if he has our heart, why would I hold back anything from him? Jesus had a lot to say about money. I don't think we talk about it enough, to be honest. We don't talk about our stuff enough. 500 verses in the Bible on prayer. 500 verses in the Bible on the subject of faith. You know how many verses in the Bible there are on money and possessions? Over a thousand. Jesus told a lot of parables, stories that have a point in a lot of his teaching. And of the 38 parables we have in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, 16 of those parables deal with money. Because Jesus knew that our wealth would be the biggest competitor for our heart. It would create the biggest struggle within us, stuff. And that's why Jesus told his followers, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If God has our heart, then we won't hold back anything from them. And listen, if God doesn't have your heart today, I would love for you to say yes to Jesus and start following him and take a step towards following him. But even if you don't take that step today, guess what? You can still be generous. Even if you leave here and say, I'm not with all that Jesus and God stuff, even you can still be generous. Whether it's through one church, Mana Cafe, the nonprofit of your choice, we all could still be generous. So how do we live this out? practically. First thing, we have to ask God to help our heart. <clears throat> if generosity is a heart issue, and we believe that it is, then that's where it's going to get fixed. You understand what I'm saying? If God doesn't fix your heart, you can take FPU nine times. You could be an FPU dropout. I was an FPU dropout once. I took it and got mad and said, I ain't taking that nonsense. Tell me how to handle my money. Tell me I got to use cash and I can't have debt. Like I got mad at Dave Ramsey for about three months. And then I realized he was right. And then I went through and did the program, right? Ask God to help your heart. You could take financial peace. You could read all the books in the Bible. You could get all the information in your head. But heart transformation is what leads to behavior modification. Heart has to be changed before your behavior will follow. So ask God. I don't know what to ask God, Carlo. Ask him this. Say, hey, God, I know that where my treasure is, my heart is. So could you just help me to make sure that you're my treasure? 
Could you help me to see all the goodness you've done for me? God, open my eyes to just see how you've blessed me. And here's what happens when you see the blessings of God. You won't be able to contain that. You'll realize really quickly, man, I've been selfish. I've been, I've kept things back. You'll see very quickly when you ask God to help your heart. So ask God to help your heart. Then when it comes to practically living this out, start with the tithe. Tithe just means 10%. It's a concept we see throughout the scripture, all the way back into the book of Genesis, all the way into the New Testament where Jesus says you should tithe and you should consider justice and mercy and all of these things. 10% is a really good starting place that God's kind of helped us out. He's took some of the guesswork out of how we give. So we talk about giving to God. This is what we hope we would all do first and foremost. Let me give God... 10% of what comes to me, I'm going to give it back to you. Someone gives me $100, give $10 in offering as a tithe to my church. We talk about tithes and offerings. We're saying offering is anything above that 10%. But that's where we start. Some of us don't give anything, and so that should be the metric. That's the goal. I really can't give 10%. You probably might not be able to if your money situation is messed up, but you could give one. You could give two. You can get five. You could work your way towards at least that minimum. That's where I want to start. That's a practical step. You could not, you can make up your mind that you're not going to leave here today until you do that. I'm going to start today. I'm going to be generous. It's a hard issue. Third thing we can do is learn to manage yourself and your stuff. Learn to manage yourself and your stuff. After you've asked God to touch your heart, you've taken a first practical step by just giving through a tithe. Then you can start to say, okay, I got to get my money situated. Because what happens if I say, well, let me get my money first, let me get my money right first, and then I'm going to be generous. You know what will happen, right? You'll never be generous. That's like the people we laugh at who say, well, when we're ready, we're going to have kids. Okay. (laughs) Tell me how that worked out, that whole getting ready for kids, right? When I get ready, then I'm going to give my money. No, that's not, it's a hard issue. I'm going to be generous right now, and as I'm being generous, I'm going to learn to manage my money and my stuff. You can come to the next steps table. Talk to us if you need some help managing your finances. We've got experts in the house that can help you out. I'm not one of them, but we've got some experts in the house that can help you manage your money. If you're struggling with yourself, you want to volunteer more, you want to serve more, but you just can't seem to find the time. We have experts in the house. I am one of those who can help you manage your time. I can give you some tools and resources that can help you maximize your time so that you can serve and you can give and you can live a life that you know God's called you to live. So ask God to help your heart. Start with the tithe. Learn to manage yourself and your stuff. And then automate the important. Automate the important. This is a little hack that we get a blessing of living in the 21st century. I can set up my giving online. I can schedule appointments. I can schedule my prayer time. Those guys who are in my small group, they know I show them all the time. I use an app to keep my prayer requests. I have prayer reminders that set me off. I mean, I, there's so many things that I can automate. It's so important to me. I don't want to be a liar and not pray or miss appointments or not give. So some stuff, let me just automate it, make it important. That's a very simple next step that I can take towards living a generous life. Trunk or treat this week, the next seven days leading up to our trunk or treat, starting today, we have a great opportunity as a church to practice generosity, buying candy, making sure we have enough. Wouldn't that be awesome to get that blast on Facebook? Hey, one church, stop giving us candy. We have too much. I don't know if such a thing is possible, but we have too much. We need more sour worms, but we have too much of the other stuff. That one was for me, but we have a great opportunity. So when you leave here today, pick up some invite cards, donate some candy, text in the number, give something extra above and beyond what you've already given 
Give something extra if you have not yet. Be generous. And then come out. And even if you didn't give towards the candy and you're not able to do a trunk, you can still come next Sunday afternoon when we do this event. And you can be generous with your time. You can love people, love the community, be here, have a good time. All of us can do something to make a difference there. We believe that generosity isn't a money thing. It's a heart thing. Generous people are generous. That's the bottom line. It has to do with you giving back to God. And if God has our heart, then we won't hold anything back from him. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your power. Thank you for your grace and your truth. Thank you for loving us so much that you sent your son to die for us. God, you were generous to us that while we were still sinners, you sent Christ to give his life that we might have life eternal. If there's a person here who's not said yes to you yet, God, they hear that statement, does God have my heart? And and they're not there yet. I pray right now they'd take a step towards you by just saying, hey, God, I've tried to do life on my own, and I don't think that that's working out. I need you. I need some help. And as they take that step towards you, God, even if they say, God, forgive me, save me, I pray you do what only you can do, God, and you'll save. Thank you for the opportunity you've given us all to be here, to hear your word. For the person here who's been holding back, God, I pray that they would be challenged and stirred, God, to give, that they wouldn't leave this place today without taking a step towards generosity, giving in the offering out there at the kiosk, God, or texting in to give towards candy, or even putting something in a bucket at the next step. Whatever it is, God, you would speak to their heart and cause them to take that step towards generosity. For the people here, God, who give faithfully every week, day in, day out, they're serving, they're loving you. I pray you would continue to bless them and all of us. God, provide for us according to your glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for being generous to us and calling us to be generous people. We love you in the strong name of Jesus.